Gareth Jones on speed news charge. UK battery startup British Vault has collapsed into administration, with the majority of its 232 staff made redundant with immediate effect. The firm had planned to build a giant factory to make electric car batteries in Blythe, Northumberland. However, as the firm was unable to secure the investment required to turn the idea into a reality, British Vault is now seeking a buyer for the company's assets. Whilst this is terrible news for not only the northeast of England but also for EV manufacturing right across the UK, it is likely to be very good news indeed for um, China Vault. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth Jones. He's Alex Goy. Hi. He's Zog. Hello there. And gentlemen, Alex, Happy New Year. How are you, brother? I'm good. Today I am mostly beef. Why are you mostly beef? How is that possible? I was supposed to be in Italy this weekend and then forgot to buy plane tickets, so didn't have many plans. <laughs> Elementary mistake, Alex. It happens. And then a friend of mine managed to get an online butcher to send him a free beef wellington because he got some likes because they gave one to Tamsin Elthwaite. Actually what happened. And I thought, <laughs> I've never made one of those. I'll have a go at that. So that's what I spend my weekend doing. You are a wellington made of beef. Yeah, because I got a very big bit of beef and I'm on my own. So I've got to eat a kilo's worth of beef. Good luck to you with that. First world problem. I know, right? So are you mostly, what, Porsche? Are you mostly champagne? What are you? Um, I'm mostly a little bit low energy after a late night of drinking cocktails and playing poker. So Uh-oh. <laughs> Excellent. But yes, I'm full of New Year cheer, almost. Almost. Said like a villain from a cartoon, I'm full of New Year cheer. I'm faking it as best I can. I am mostly sand, I think, at the moment. I've been watching the Dakar this last couple of weeks. And congratulations to Nasser Al-Ataya, who won his fifth Dakar. Was he in a Hilux, yeah? He was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Second most successful driver in the Dakar now, I believe, by victories, is that right? After Stefan Petter and Solicit, correct? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But my money was on Loeb. I love the ProDrive BRX Hunter, as discussed on the programme before. I absolutely adore that car. I think it's cracking, as is the Audi e-tron 2 Dakar buggy thing. It's a range extender and it's really cool. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, as discussed on this programme previously, but it's lovely to see they had a fuel cell hydrogen truck running in the truck category in the future of Dakar category this year, which don't know if it finished, but I hope it did. I'd love it every year. That, of course, is you know arguably one of the sectors where hydrogen is actually likely to probably work out the best and maybe have a realistic future. Mm. I'm not one of those people that believes that hydrogen is the magic solution to all of our future needs, which some people seem to believe. It'll be a niche thing. And it's part trucks, of a solution, isn't you know, it? But not all of it. Quite likely to be one of those niches, trucks, buses, those kind of areas. Yeah, they're operating in London. And the Dakar, I mean, it's a very special event. It's a truly epic challenge. You know, if you take on the Dakar and come at the other side, yeah, you've proved your worth as a competitor, I think, and as a team. 
I watched an opening montage sequence of Dakar Heroes, they called it, on Eurosport. And this, not point of view camera, but a camera on the handlebars of a motorcyclist, one of the guys on bikes competing, showing the effort that he makes. And he gets going and he falls over on this impossible terrain and then gets up and gets going again and gets faster and faster and then falls over again. <laughs> and, and then gets up and gets, oh man, yeah feel it those people we think the Le Mans 24 hours is hard don't we I think the Dakar might be harder a bit hotter might be a little bit tricky it's a bit longer quite a lot longer some days they have to do something like a four hour journey to the start of the stage I'd be knackered by the time I got there well I'm clearly not built to ride the Dakar <laughs> but still that sounds tiring and dusty yeah, a lot of bother. A lot of bother. Which one of you guys, either of you, watch the first e pre of 2023 from Mexico? I did. Enjoy? It was aggressively a thing that was happening. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> all right. I spent a very pleasant afternoon with Team Jaguar just before Christmas, the unveil of the new car, and chatted with Evans and Bird. And they said, like, the car is a, it's a bit pointy, not just to look at, but to drive. They're a bit squidgy and also squiggly and take a lot more concentration because of course they've got less weight and more power yep. and no rear brakes there's an emergency yeah. brake but there was a bit of safety controversy before the race begins so there's now going to be a rear brake of an actual physical rear brake yeah the only retardation they have on the gen 3 car comes from the motor and the generator on the front axle yeah it's, it's all region the, or the rear axle yeah the, yeah the, 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 the so if that being, goes into freewheel you're stuffed don't yeah you? and the, the idea being that they want to get as much energy back into the vehicle as possible they don't really need to use the brakes so why bother having them but yes there were some concerns but yeah i think within the first lap there were some bumps and there was some people going off i think it ended up with four cars not making Making it round and it, it was kind of okay i can't remember who won it jake dennis won it dennis won it that's the one there was a battle for third and it was lotterer against hughes lotterer was just behind him all the way it was a yellow flag and i thought well just towards the end because they added eight extra laps because there was so much safety car nonsense yeah that's right there were three i think at least safety yeah. cars, possibly more and lotterer was just waiting he was waiting and waiting waiting it was either last lap or second to last lap it was like right down to the wire and he went for it and he took it. It was beautiful to watch. It was yeah, yeah. It was proper good driving that. Bravo that man. It was a great race. I think the new Gen 3 cars are genuinely quick. Genuinely quick. Gen, you and Lee. I didn't mean that. And they look great on the shortened version of the Mexico Hermanos Rodriguez circuit. And yeah, they look an awful lot more purposeful than they have in the past. And I'm very... I think relieved is the word that Formula E finally is. Come on, be better than you actually are. I really want it to be. And this was really good. I quite like the cars. Although, as I commented on Twitter a couple of days ago, they could have saved themselves an awful lot of bother if instead of going to all the expense of creating the Gen 3 car, they should have just used the Ben Bowlby Delta Wing concept from 2009, <laughs> which would have been perfect for this. And I loved it. They are angry triangles. They remind me of <laughs> star destroyers yeah 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 what they need to do is they just got one of those big lego ucs sets and put a lecky motor at either end but done problem solved yeah. or a mouse clicker 
that's kind of what they are. They are exactly that, aren't they? Yeah, they look nice. They look good. They look purposeful. I think the previous generation Gen 2 car looked great standing still. Oh, it looked proper futuristic. Yeah, it looked great standing still, but when it was on the move, it wasn't as fast as it looked it should be. But this generation of cars is, hooray for Formula E, what a relief. Hooray, it's back and it hopefully isn't going to be terrible. The thing that got me was how, admittedly, I knew it was on because I follow lots of people who cover it and who like it, but it was free. I just had to find Channel 4's sport YouTube channel and it was there, on. Great. No problem, stick it on the telly. That is a nice surprise, isn't it? Yeah. I will have another go at getting back into Formula E this year because, you know, having followed it at the start, I found myself drifting away from it and losing interest. And I really don't like the kind of attack mode stuff and the fan boost they had. Mm. I understand why they're doing them to force drama to add appeal to a younger generation who are brought up in video games and introducing some of those kind of elements and fan boost obviously is a very direct way of engaging fans interactively in the race yeah it's about engagement but that's a good thing but it's also very gimmicky yeah i found those things contributed to just making it a less interesting series to me i'm going to give it another chance this year there's still attack mode but that gives i think it's like four minutes of full whack power it's a decent amount of time on all the power that the car can have you still have to go offline to do the thing but it didn't feel as hackneyed this time as it did before and that the commentators were still going oh he's going in for attack mode and he's got a bit more energy than that guy but added a little bit of extra drama in there that would the race have been better without it don't know do Mm. i care Mm. no you were entertained i was entertained Mm. i was lying on my sofa like a fat beefy caesar (laughs) with my thumb wobbling seeing who was going to yay or nay no it was good to see it back last one i went to in person was london i think the london race is going to be very interesting with the faster cars because they're a little bit chunkier they're a little bit quicker they're a little bit lighter that indoor stretch is a little bit slippery so it'll be interesting to see what happens i think they're narrower the new generation of cars slightly narrower? narrower i think so yeah like i said i'm pleased formula e is in good shape there wasn't loads of overtaking there was some overtaking but the key moment was in the last few laps and that's what it's all about yeah and of course we're watching formula e and dakar and i don't know cricket either of you two watch cricket no good not much me neither even i have my limits (laughs) 11 men standing around dressed in white sinister no i haven't been watching cricket but the reason that we're watching you know the dakar and formula e of course is because there's no formula one activity for you and me zog anyway not for you alex But there's been a bit of sort of Formula One stirring up of the mud going on over the last two months. But the latest development is that Andretti are still saying that they want to come into Formula One. But with Cadillac as a partner. Yes. Zog, do you reckon they'll do it? I'm not sure they will. I mean, it it seems to be, you know, it's a rather messy situation. Most of the teams in Formula One, the incumbents, seem very opposed to Andretti coming in. You know, they seem to be very fiercely defending their territory and they just don't want a newcomer. We can discuss the reasons why that might be. The FIA, on the other hand, seem quite keen to have a new team and to have a big American manufacturer backing a new team and why wouldn't you so people aren't on the same page there have been signs recently that you know maybe the teams are coming around a little bit to andretti's point of view toto wolf and i think williams have been a bit more positive in the last week or so 
But really, it seems like Alpine are their only solid supporters in terms of wanting to have Andretti on board. And that's even without the sort of very real barriers that there are to the entry, such as having to pay a $200 million payment to the other teams to bribe, to compensate them for their loss of income in the short term when the Formula One money that would have been distributed between 10 teams now gets distributed between 11. So the teams that are in the sport are getting less money. $200 million is a lot of money. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's an enormous sum of money. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And the... Existing teams have apparently made it very clear that they don't consider that sum large enough. They think they should be getting a bigger chunk of money. There are times when people say stuff like that. I just think there are bigger things going on in the world needing to worry about. Yeah, whether you can, in the case of Red Bull, feed people lobster. I don't know. It was ever thus in Formula One, though. There have been continuing battles, the FISA, FOCA wars, you know, teams demanding a greater return from what the race promoters get or the FIA get. This has happened over Formula One. There's always renegotiation because it's been running for so long. You know, things change personally i believe we need a new team in formula one i absolutely understand why the 10 incumbents don't want to split some of their monies that makes perfect sense yeah there will be a compromise but alex cadillac from what you know about motorsport are they the right people cadillac this year is putting on a bit of a motorsport offensive They've got cars coming to WEC. Now they're heading into F1. Ah, 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 hang on. They might be heading into F1. We can't say that they are. They might. They might. Be, they yeah. might all right. They might be heading They've into F1. They've got a clear intent anyway. But yeah. When you consider how big F1 is finally becoming in America, they're understanding it now. They get it. Mm. It's probably a good idea if there's more than one American team in the running. Indeed. Andretti is one of the biggest names in motorsport. Cadillac is arguably one of the best known automotive brands in the world, despite the fact that they tried to launch in Europe and released a wonky Saab. Yeah. And less said about the BLS, the better. I loved it. Well, it was a Saab. Yeah, it was a Saab. It was a Saab in a Stetson. It was. But, no, I think it's a really good thing. I hope it comes off. I understand why the current incumbents would be cross because of the money, but also maybe they're worried about the competition. Andretti isn't the type to want to lose. No, he's a very driven man. I actually have my doubts, surprisingly, about this, because, as you know, I'm a big follower of IndyCar, and the Andretti team in IndyCar are tremendous. But we've seen it over and over again, how difficult it is for a new team to get any sort of purchase before they run out of money. Mm. You know, it happened a few years ago when we had Lotus or Caterham and Virgin, who were Mana, who were Marussia and USF1, who didn't even make it, HRT. You know, these were minor concerns, or in the case of Virgin, a fairly major concern who just didn't last. But Andretti got fairly deep pockets. And having Cadillac on board will help them get over that hump. Exactly. The backing of Cadillac and General Motors is a big difference to a lot of those teams that you mentioned before. No, I absolutely agree. My feeling is it would be great to have an Andretti GM team enter the sport. I think it would add a lot in terms of uh, building still further interest in the States. And I think there's a good chance that they would be a good competitor in the field. I'm not saying they're going to be you know, bouncing straight up to the you know they're not going to be competitive at the sharp end immediately by any means but they're going to be a worthwhile entry and i could totally get why formula one would want to have some kind of mechanism of discouraging flaky entries you know you don't want to have 
teams coming on board too easily that are around for a couple of years and then disappear. It does kind of devalue the sport. Yeah. And it, it is a bit Mickey Mouse. I get why they want to have a certain level of difficulty of challenge for teams to come in to prove that they're really serious but surely an Andretti General Motors entry is about as serious as you're going to get yeah if they're putting off an Andretti General Motors entry they really are doing something wrong and what is the future then that just smells of petty jealousy and, yeah, it does. Uh, and fear, it really does. Which doesn't really yeah. lend itself to competition. And snobbery, to be honest, you know. Yeah, it's snobbery. Oh, General Motors, ick. And sure, Formula One has never been a particularly modest, blue-collar, down-to-earth sport. It's always been very elitist, yeah. but it just reeks of snobbery. Yeah. Two thoughts. One is, if I were Williams... I'd be thrilled if another team came in and struggled beneath me. It would make me look good for a few years. So you can see why they would appreciate yeah. a buffer. I think Fair you need point. like the slow zebras around the outside of the herd, you know, get picked off. So the other guys look better or survive. That's, that's how I see it. <laughs> However, maybe I was also really optimistic. I thought, yeah, Cadillac Deep Pockets and Dressy, great at running race cars. But then I read an article by... Pat Simmons, he's now the technical officer for the FIA, and he's going to maintain that way. But of course, he has a great history in the Benetton team before that. And he said, well, Cadillac, Formula One, I'm reminded of Jaguar, he said. That Jaguar couldn't believe how race teams ran their operation. And they would say, no, you're doing it the Ford way. This is notoriously efficient Jaguar. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is when, <laughs> even worse, when Ford owned Jaguar. And Ford kept saying, well, you got to do it the Ford way. If you don't do it the Ford way, you don't do it. And they were designing components for the car that were failing. And Pat Simmons knew they were going to fail. And they repeated to fail. So he engineered one in parallel, his own, and had to put that in at the last minute. So when you've got a megalith like Cadillac, the only way that they can succeed in Formula One, in my opinion, is in the way that Red Bull and Mercedes operate in Formula One. Enormous sums of money and crying foul whenever it doesn't go their way. And being hands-off and allowing the team to get on with it. Correct, correct. Yeah, exactly, Zog. You've got to let the race team... Mercedes did it by buying a team who were in the ascendancy. You know, Braun had suddenly proved themselves to be a billion times better than the Honda team that they were beforehand. And Mercedes, right, these guys are on the way, resource them, make them happen. And that happened. Red Bull, as you said... Put all the money in, put a great team of people from the race universe to run the team. And they turned what was the Jaguar team to this multi-world championship winning team. So you can do it. So the question is, will Andretti be allowed to really run the show? And second of all, are they going to be able to do it from their base in the United States? They're talking about having a factory in the US, but a European plant as well. I think you need to be in one place only. Whether that's America or Europe, it doesn't matter. But, of course, Andretti's got a lot to prove because his tenure as a driver in Formula One was, you know, oh, that didn't work out. He wants to come back and prove that he can do it. He's a driven man. He is. Driven man. I didn't mean that. He's a driven man. Sorry. One other thing. Here's something I don't understand. Now, as far as I know, Andretti have a deal with Renault, who we know are Alpine, to supply engines for them when they come into Formula One. That exists, that sort of gentleman's agreement. Mm. However, the latest news is that this Cadillac backing will involve, wait for it, Honda 
engines. That makes no sense to me unless something greater is happening here because Honda and General Motors are two rivals in IndyCar and IMSA and the dealer network around the United States of America. Could it be that this is the beginning? If Honda are going to allow Cadillac to badge their engines or run their engines in what's assumed to be a Cadillac car, does this mean that there could be the tentative beginnings of some kind of industrial corporate merger between General Motors and Honda to combat the might of the Chinese motor industry? Something that, wow, no one else is talking about. I wonder, because there's no way, is there? No way GM would badge a Honda engine. Honda would allow them to do that. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but if they want to win, rather than... I don't know. But it's more than just motorsport. Are we talking about a potential General Motors Honda deal or something that's more specifically General Motors, the Honda bit that Red Bull are in charge of at the moment? Yeah, what are they called? Uh, Honda race performance engines or something like that i think it's potentially both i think it's not just the race team that they're pioneering some kind of alliance where they buy shares in each other to create an international motor manufacturer of road cars that share components or development they are developing um are they developing electric cars together or a hybrid system there's something already going on i think honda and gm are slowly growing closer together maybe not a marriage but more like the nissan renault mitsubishi thing i mean i could be wrong but something didn't sit right what cadillac honda no surely hey you know me fantasizing there's a fascinating documentary by the way about carlos gone yeah i can't remember i saw it but uh, i think it's called the last flight really really fascinating look at the events around his uh, escape his escape yes his midnight flit in a double base case uh, japan yes yeah. yes worth a watch and all the headlines of go and go and go oh, <laughs> and we'll move on thank you very much <laughs> Gareth Jones on speed news charge. Max Verstappen described the 2023 Le Mans virtual as a clown show. The young Dutch two-times F1 champion was disconnected whilst leading the 24-hour endurance race with less than six hours to go. He went on to say, This is the last time I'm ever participating. I hope everyone uninstalls the game. Verstappen is, of course, no stranger to clown shows, having taken part in the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I would like to introduce to this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed a new member of the presenting team. Sarah's not here this week because she's still sunning herself in Australia. So our latest member of the team, because it's the future, 2023, is AI. In this case, ChatGPT. Right, Zog, you know all about ChatGPT, don't you? An open AI that you can ask questions of, right? I know more about the AI image creation tools. I spent a while messing about with a couple of those. Yeah, I was kind of knocked out by how good they are at coming up with stuff. Is it chat GT, GPT GPT. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had one quick go at it. I need to play about with it more. On my first run at getting something out of it, I wasn't that impressed. I asked it to write a scene of dialogue in the style of Aaron Sorkin. Who? 
And I can't remember what the subject I gave it was, but learning the lesson that from the image stuff, the more specific you are about what you want the thing to do, the better a job it does. Exactly. And I was thinking Aaron Sorkin has a very specific writing style, which did not come across at all in what chat GPT came up with. It was a very mundane, pedestrian scene for a TV drama. Now, that said, it was entirely grammatically correct and was entirely constructed of well-structured sentences. It made sense. It was better than a lot of people would do if you or I asked to do the same thing. So at the same time that it was disappointing, it was still incredibly impressive on another level. For instance, as described so eloquently there, Zog, if I were to ask chat gpt to come up with some limericks about my co-presenters <laughs> and i gave it some information okay. about the co-presenters this is what it came up with there once was a man named zog who loved poker his porsche and grog now i'm going to take grog meaning not just rum but any booze <laughs> i mean that's fair that's good I it's like close that. enough wait for it but above all debbie harry from blondie he'd marry <laughs> Also, synthesizers, usually analog. Okay, I've got... That's not bad. That that is kind of amazing. That's really very, very, very good. I have to admit that I rewrote half of that, but the Ah. original got me going and I was able to refine it. AI-assisted work, still very impressive. Yeah. Similarly, try this. There once was a man named Alex Goy, I'm noticing a pattern here, right, who loved his three-wheeler Morgan like a toy. He'd drive it with glee... Loved more than his Aston, you see, Ooh, but not yeah. as much as his dear old mum. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told it that you loved your cars almost as much as your mum. That was one of the key things. How much of that did you have to rewrite? Just a bit of rhythm to the last line. And I put the word toy in there instead of whatever it had, which didn't quite make sense. Yeah, it was mostly there. The machines are rising. That lyric did, however, remind me of the non-AI written lyric. There once was a man of Japan whose limericks never would scan. When told it was so, he replied, yes, I know. But I always try to get as many words into the last line as I ever possibly can. <laughs> My favourite ever is Spike Milligan, which is there was a young man from Dundee who got stuck on the leg by a wasp. When asked if it hurt, he said, "Not a lot. It can do it again if it wants." <laughs> it's a limerick. It's a Genius. limerick. So here we go. Last one. There once was a Welshman named Gareth who loved to chat cars on the airpath. What's an airpath? He talk Lancashire with glee on his podcast, Gareth Jones on Speed. It's a show that's both fun and quite snappy. Uh, almost there. Almost, yeah. You didn't edit that one, did you? I think Alex and I got the better <laughs> end of that deal, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Right. Which leads me to our next topic of discussion on the program and that someone who's been advocating that AI is coming and is absolutely using it in designing his cars and his rockets and probably the decisions he makes about Twitter that he just bought for $44 billion. Is that right? We're talking about Elon Musk. Oh, good. That. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Alex, how do you feel about Elon Musk? 20 (laughs) minutes without too much swearing. Be honest. Well, we shall aim to use the bleep as little as possible. 
Thing is, you cannot deny the impact is made on the automotive sector, on the image of EVs, on how it's turned them from weird things that vegetarians drive in inner cities into a proper luxury good that people aspire to. Mm. It's become a sort of trophy of, I've done well, I've got a Tesla. Twitter, before he bought it, was a bit weird. I don't follow him because it would just make me angry because there's a lot of, oh, woe is me, and there's a lot of replying and only listening to the people that love him, which is entirely understandable. It's your echo chamber. Make it that way. You know, I don't follow a lot of people I don't want to hear from. I actively don't seek out things that are negative. But his bloody mindedness and the fact that he's like, I am right because this is this and this is that. Always having a pop at people who were saying, for example, the full self-driving beta was a thing. It's perfectly legal. It's perfectly brilliant. It's unimpeachable. There's nothing wrong with it. Despite the fact that until very recently, it was members of the public going, hang on, if this is a beta, then I didn't sign up for this. You're just putting this unproven software on the road and putting the onus on drivers who are often saying, well, full self-driving means I don't need to do anything. And anything negative that comes out about it is either jumped on by the fanboys or dismissed because, oh, well, it's been edited to make the car look bad. There's this sort of single-minded view that Tesla is this unimpeachable thing. And now old Muskadoodle Dandy owns Twitter. The working practices have been quite jazzy, I'd say, firing so many people so quickly, claiming he's done certain things that I know of at least one case, a friend of mine, where what he said is very different to what he's actually done, what he's turning the workforce into, saying, oh, you've got to be fully committed, you're going to work yourself to death to stay here. The fact he's started giving basically Nazis their accounts back in the kind of auspices of free speech. But it, but actually being a bit of a sort of right-wing activist in pushing a lot of right-wing tosses yeah. back on. Yeah. If you look at the recent midterms, a lot of the world was hoping that the Democrats would take it. And Musk, who had previously said businesses like this need to have partisan leadership and can't lean one way or the other, went, we should have Republicans in the House because that's the most sensible thing to do. That kind of stuff, it's bordering on, I don't say it actually is, but it's bordering on abuse of power and abuse of platform. Because mm -hmm. one of his big complaints was that Twitter was, oh, it's, it's too much of this. It's too left-leaning. It's too this. They're using their power for evil. And he's releasing these ridiculous Twitter files, gotcha things where... Which aren't really anything of the sort. <laughs> what they did was they went through due process properly. Mm. That's not a gotcha. Yeah. That's just people doing their job. People who is since fired or have left because the working environment's so toxic. His impact on the platform, something I dearly love. It's how I got to know loads of people. It's I basically owe a big chunk of my career to it as well. It's made it less of the sort of polite beginning bit of a party where everyone's getting to know one another and we're having lively discussions about interesting things. And occasionally there's someone who turns up and is a bit of an now it's just anger even weird car twitter has become quite angry just in the last couple of weeks there's been this well you shouldn't buy a new car because that's ridiculous or electric cars are entirely rubbish and complete write-offs coming from the most bizarre corners because he's managed to foster this environment of distrust and unpleasantness sorry gareth did i prattle on a bit <laughs> no not at all not at all no no i just want to comment it's interesting to hear what you say because violet says a similar thing when we were discussing Twitter the other day. She said, oh, my Twitter stream is full of the most horrific stuff. 
And I said, wait, she said, isn't yours? No, no. <laughs> I find that my Twitter stream, maybe because I live in an echo chamber, but I don't see a lot of the hate stuff because I control who I follow, yeah. as we all do on Twitter. Stuff might occasionally creep in if I'm following a hashtag, so maybe I don't follow that hashtag, you know. And I think Twitter, you can have more control over it. I also agree that there is a tension in Twitter now that Musk owns it that didn't exist before, mm. simply from a reaction. Even me, someone who's, I would say, a passionate supporter of Elon Musk's work in the transport department. I'm fascinated what he's done with Tesla. Overwhelmingly impressed with what he's done at SpaceX. But even I tweeted yesterday. Let me find it for you. Hang on. Dear Elon Musk, got to admire your work in the whole transport sector. But if you stop third party apps from accessing Twitter, which is what's happened this week, I'll probably have to stop using Twitter. Well, mm. It sort of developed into this big Cartman's theme park energy. Remember that episode of South Park where Cartman gets his own theme park and won't let anyone else in because it's just his? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. Uh huh. He's basically saying that unless it directly benefits Twitter, unless it's directly this and directly that, it's all one way into us. We're not going to let it happen. So third party apps, I think it's something to do with advertising or something like that. Yeah. Again, mm, I don't yeah, see adverts because I use Phoenix as the third party app for Twitter on my phone. Yeah. I never see Never, ever seen an advert on Twitter. No, but there are some. So over Christmas, every time you booted up the Twitter app, there was a big intrusive, like three sizes of tweets, big advert in full colour going, buy this thing, do that thing. He did at least admit in the early days, after they'd made a few catastrophes, <laughs> they admitted that we're going to try some stuff. Some of it will be good. Some of it will be bad. Bear with us. In fairness to them, while he has fostered an atmosphere where more people are emboldened to be utter with unfounded nonsense. I mean, if you have your echo chamber, just stay away from any American journalist, any American politician. There's a game I played long before Elon Musk bought the company when I'd wait for Sadiq Khan to tweet and then I'd wait to see how long it would take to someone just to write resign underneath it. And it's normally about 90 seconds. <laughs> I'm surprised it was that long. Because people are arsehole, but they're more emboldened to be horrible. But in fairness, he has added features and then swiftly removed them. And he's changed them in what a lot of people feel is their home. Because it was that private microblogging site. You've got your own little echo chamber and he wants to change it. And the reason being that he was forced to buy it, he got caught out. So now he's either deliberately making it horrible or he's trying to use his galaxy brain to make it work. But that's not. But on the upside, Alex, it. but on the upside, he has just lost about $200 billion and set a new record for the greatest loss of personal wealth ever. So, you know, you can take comfort in that. That's a hideous amount of money to lose. How does one person have that in the first place? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, they yeah. will have access to that because it's all the pretend money. Yeah, exactly, yes. That is his worth. Let's not even get into that. But I would absolutely agree with most of what you both said there. Both, you know, what you were saying, Gareth, about admiring what he's done with Tesla and SpaceX. And it is worth reminding ourselves what terrific things he has done with those companies and their products, in developing their products. And he hasn't done that just by taking a lot of money and throwing it at certain people. He has been much more involved in that and gets down to, you know, you know, he's not designing components. He is getting 
involved enough in the discussions about technology, you know, at a very basic level. You know, he understands physics. I think he's, he has a, yeah, yeah. a physics degree rather than an engineering degree or physics and economics or something. He does get into the deep technical levels and determine a lot of technical decisions. So I think we have to give him credit for that. And I do admire him greatly for that at the same time as I'm absolutely hating pretty much everything he's doing with Twitter at the moment. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's worth you know, adding to what you said, Alex, which I, I basically agree with all of it. <laughs> it's worth adding that one of the things that he did, which seems to be a very bad idea, is to dismantle a lot of what Twitter had put in place to safeguard against the kind of disinformation that was involved in yeah. American politics in the 2016 election. And Twitter took steps to try and combat that kind of disinformation. And he's sacked the data scientists and a lot of the volunteers that are involved in carrying that out. There was one thing that he said the other day, that, oh, well, we've fired loads of people, but, you know, images of like child pornography and child abuse, we're still very much on top of that. And then there was a news story came out that said, yes, there is now one person in that department for the entire world's worth of Twitter. Mm, yeah. He's going to replace everybody with AI, isn't he? Well, he says a lot of things that appear to end up as bollocks. Yeah. Actually, the really interesting side effect of this is that I followed people. I know people who have been critical of Tesla, not necessarily anti, but critical mm. of Tesla in their working practices, specifically Ed Niedermeyer in the States. He wrote a book about them and he's very, very vocally critical of Tesla. But the interesting thing is now normal people who don't get involved in the nitty-gritty of Tesla and who've only seen them as shiny car, pretty car, something to aspire to, who see the work with SpaceX and go, spaceships are cool, and now seeing him walk into their back garden, tear up all the weeds and go, well, this is broken, and they're beginning Mm, to mm. realise that he might not be as clever as he says he is or as they thought he once was, because they didn't understand anything about EVs, they didn't understand anything about rocket ships, but now they understand a bit about Twitter because they've used it forever, and they're just watching him just ah. wreck it. <laughs> but also, Alex, I think it's not just a different level of understanding, of comprehension amongst the audience who are seeing all this mm. happen. It is also that I really think that with both Tesla and with SpaceX, what Elon Musk was doing was much closer to areas of genuine expertise you know he was genuinely able to engage on a much more rational information-based fact-based and practical level with the problems that tesla and spacex had to confront in getting to their goals of putting electric cars on the road that people want to buy and love owning and of getting cargo and people to space on cheap reusable vehicles like i say and he's done a remarkable job of making those companies successful in achieving those aims in getting into twitter he's getting to an area in which he has well basically no greater expertise than most of us it's become political and sociological what he's doing is social engineering as well as software engineering and he may well have a reasonable understanding of software engineering I'm not quite sure about that but I don't think he understands social media much better than many of us this kind of really feels like overreach in the sense of he's had years of making a huge amount of money and being very successful being told that he's very successful being surrounded by people who don't disagree with him enough who don't challenge his ideas I think and I think he's dealing with something that he just doesn't really understand and he's doing all these things 
without understanding what the consequences are going to be, without understanding what he's messing with. He's out of his depth and he doesn't have people who are giving him a reality check. I think that's part of the story, at least. He can see what he wants. He can see his end goal, but he can't figure out how to manipulate his way into making it that way because other people are a thing, that humans aren't code. You've got these very negative feedback loops. He's getting a lot of, I think, feedback through Twitter, (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) that are pushing him in silly culture war directions. And it's a ridiculous distraction. He should just stick to making rockets and cars. Well, I appeared on a podcast this week talking about autism and neurodiversity. And one of the things that I said on that podcast, it's really important in society and business that we have non-neurotypical people. They will often approach a problem from a starting point that's different to what we call neurotypical people and can come up with answers. I'm not describing autistic people as savants here. I'm just thinking you need a range of types of thinkers, linear thinkers, lateral thinkers, dogleg thinkers, people who scatterbomb, you know, and you'll find a solution. And I think part of Elon's success, I can call him Elon, Mr. Musk's success has been that he is autistic. And so when he tackles engineering problems like electric cars or reusable rockets, he goes, well, why can't we do this? Let's find out a way of doing it. And that's a function of his makeup. However, you put these people into social situations and neurotypical people go, wait, what? You can't just do that. I have friends who are autistic and I say, oh, do you want to come and see such and such band? And they go, no, I saw them 12 years ago. I've done that now. <laughs> okay, yeah, I kind of see the logic in that. And I'm absolutely certain that Elon Musk's logic is driven by his mindset. It is supported by, yes, people around him because he's got a track record that's been pretty successful up to now. But as you both point out, he's now in a very different environment, social engineering with Twitter. But the question is, boys, to bring this to a conclusion here, Alex, I doubt if you've ever been in love with Elon Musk, but Zog and I, I think we kind of had a bit of an infatuation with him. Have we fallen out of love with him? Have you, Zog? Do you hate him? I don't hate him, but I certainly have much more nuanced views than him that I had three or four years ago. Yep. And I mean, he's certainly become a lot more like Henry Ford than one might have imagined. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know where you're going with this. You know, uh, I don't know if that was ever something he was ever an ambition. Probably not. But, you know, yeah, a bit of a Henry Ford. Changed the automotive industry. Gave a lot of encouragement to extremely nasty right wings. <laughs> <laughs> this is maybe not the best legacy. He is giving a lot of sucker and support to extreme right in what he's done with Twitter. And that's not a good thing, in my view. I'm... Please, what you say about a nuanced interpretation of him now, because something I'm not particularly keen on is all or nothing, that we damn someone, we cancel them Mm. now. There are lots of reasons to dislike great facets of Elon Musk, but I still admire his good facets. Alex, are you able to admire him in any way? There was a time where I thought he was the best thing since sliced bread, which was, you know, a thing. Without the impact that Tesla's had... EVs probably wouldn't be where they are today as an aspirational product, as an aspirational Mm -hmm. thing. And there's a huge amount of kudos to be given to that. As Zog said, there is nuance. He has done some truly awful things, both in working practices in America, at Tesla, also at Twitter. But at the same time, he might be a nice bloke. I struggle at the moment. I used to have a lot more time for him. I think it was when he was saying, why should I let this person on my platform? 
Like, so you can have actual Nazis spewing hate stuff, but if someone says something bad about the boss, off you go. Like, mm. petty little man. Mm. My uh, final thought on this is that Elon Musk has made life tricky for us on this programme. Because when we started Gareth Jones on Speed in 2005, we billed it as the podcast for petrol heads. And largely thanks to Elon Musk's efforts, that simply isn't true anymore. We spend more time testing and talking about electric cars than internal combustion engine cars. And unfortunately, that doesn't come under the remit of podcasts for petrol heads. And I still haven't found the term to replace it. So, Elon Musk, I shake my fisk. Uh, I shake my fisker at you. I shake my fist at you. (laughs) Damn you. You've been listening to the rantings of me, Gareth Jones, him, Zog. Goodbye. And him, Alex Goy. Bye. See you guys in the future, which has already started once again, thanks to blooming Elon Musk. (laughs) For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones!